0: It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast with your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at
1: listening, John Grimes.
0: Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in and subscribing. Please check out ambiguouslyblind.com for all kinds of information about the podcast, including information about the posts and links to items that we talk about as well as the social media links and other ways to follow the Ambiguously Blind podcast wherever you may roam. In addition, we have a link to the merch store so you can get your very own Ambiguously Blind gear or your Tremendous Tea to help support the channel. And of course, we have episode transcripts like this one. I'm going to visit with a good old buddy of mine, Chris Elder Esquire about brewing. Since we've all been cooped up in our homes for what seems like an eternity, we're finding new things to do at home. So Chris and I are going to visit about the world of home brewing and try a little of our own. So Chris, I'm glad we finally got this together. Welcome to the Ambiguously Blind podcast.
1: Well, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: We're going to talk about brewing today. I guess we'll call this the the brew deads maybe
1: no that sounds great i think that's a good a perfect title
0: so let's tell everybody how we know each other we go pretty far back don't we
1: it's it's been a while uh, i think it was 1991
0: yeah i think it was actually 1992
1: but yeah that was i moved to to dallas or a suburb of dallas uh in 91 and then you did very shortly thereafter yeah you 92. were like late
0: right. 91 and i moved in and uh two doors down in january of 92 so yeah just the beginning of the year 92 so there's been it's been a while since then we've been through a lot of things we've had a lot of good times and some stories we shouldn't go in for lots of legal reasons <laughs> for this discussion
1: no we'll keep it to brewing on this one
0: yeah and and we'll keep it clean too so why did we start brewing? Do you remember that?
1: Uh, why did we or why did I? Uh, I started brewing beer about 10 years ago when I moved up to the, uh, you know, Seattle, to, well, really Tacoma area in Washington state. And uh, as as you know, I'm sure there's a, a plethora of different brewers and beers up there that are very different than most of the rest of the United States that are, well, actually they're kind of common now, but up, at the time, even it wasn't that common.
0: Yeah. It's the craft brew thing, which is now all the hipsters do that. So that's, that's the rage now.
1: Yeah. And oh, it sure is. Uh, and there's a homebrew store there. Like, uh, like there are Starbucks now you go to any corner and, you know, find a homebrew store and, you know, I thought that'd be kind of something fun to do and really kind of got into the IPA thing up there and, uh, really enjoy those. And so I wanted to start making, making my own.
0: So what is an IPA for those of us that are less into brewing?
1: Uh, an IPA is uh, well, it started a long time ago at least that's the story. is an India pale ale, and back when uh, you know India was a, a British colony, the, they liked to you know ship beer over there to keep the, the British sailors and you know military folks uh, sufficiently lubricated. And so, but in order to survive the long journey, they needed beer to survive that journey and heat and time really will kind of cure, uh, kill beer. And in order to combat that, you need to preserve it. And so hops are a natural preservative and so is alcohol. And so they just kind of doubled both. And I believe at least the, the lore is that, um, they, they tried to double it up so that when they got there, they could water it down and it would still be good. But, back down to the normal you know level of hops or alcohol but they got a taste for it and so they just like to kind of keep it up in that very hoppy and very high in alcohol range and so that's kind of where that style came from allegedly i don't know of how much truth there is to that but that's a, that's what the that's what the lore of the IPA is
0: that's what the homebrew guys talk about when you get together
1: oh uh, one of the many things yes <laughs>
0: So if just staying on IPA here for a minute, what's an I like your Bud Lights, your Budweiser, your Coors, your Miller. How do, how do those compare to uh, the style of an IPA?
1: So so in very basic terms, uh, actually I'll probably start with the different types of beer that there are. And uh, in, in reality, it's based on the type of yeast that's used. And uh, in general, and I say in general because there are some major variations on this theme. In general, you've got ales and you've got lagers. And um, ales are generally fermented at room temperature, uh, so 70-ish degrees. And they call them top-fermenting yeasts. And they're just a little bit easier to make because you don't need refrigeration to do it. On the other hand, you've got uh, lagers, which kind of comes from this German term where to lager a beer means to age it at a colder temperature generally. So we're talking like down to 55 degrees-ish and that kind of range. And so uh, when you do that, you use a different type of yeast that works uh, better at that lower temperature over a longer time uh, and is what they call a bottom fermenting yeast. Now there's actually like a bunch of hybrids out there Uh, But in general, these ales kind of have a little bit more body to them, Um, and the the, the lager yeast produce more of a kind of a crisp beer that you're used to seeing like on a Budweiser or Coors or something like that. And those are variations of a a pilsner, which is a type of lager. And um, those, again... They use a lot of adjuncts and some other things in there, and an adjunct is really just something other than a malt that you put in there that's fermentable, that ups the alcohol, but does a m- bunch of different things to it. So what you're thinking of when you're you're talking about a Budweiser, a Coors or Coors Light or whatever, uh, that that's generally a lager, and then most of those I think are kind of a subcategory of. Technically, they're a pilsner, but uh, I think there's some. Check folks out there that might disagree with that definition.
0: So what would classify as a uh what was the other one you said? You got a logger and a
1: an ale. So uh your your most of your your IPAs are, are gonna be your in your ale category. Lots more body, lots more stuff going on in there. Usually I mean that doesn't mean you can't do that to a logger, but usually you got a lot more stuff going on in an ale.
0: Can you give me a name of an ale that I may recognize? Uh Guinness. Okay
1: would be a perfect example.
0: I recognize that. Okay, but now we're talking about beer and all these variations of which, lager and pilsners and all those. But you know that really doesn't matter, Chris, because my wife doesn't like beer.
1: No, she doesn't. And uh, we we found that out uh, on a a trip we went on up to Chicago.
0: We did. And, um, you know, that pretty much means I don't like beer right?
1: Pretty much makes you a vegetarian. Actually, it
0: (laughs) does make me a vegetarian. So we, I don't know how, how this discussion about brewing started between for, for this incident here. How did this start?
1: Uh, Well, it it started on that trip to Chicago really uh, because uh, Erin was trying to figure out what she wanted to drink when we went to some, actually it was really freezing cold. It was January in Chicago and so I mean just ice and sleet and all kinds of stuff and we walked inside to a place had a fire and we we're like hey let's let's grab a beer or something and Aaron said like, well I don't like beer so uh I suggested And a you said cider. what? No I didn't I, I can I understand that and actually um I was first really introduced to hard cider when I was in Finland um I did a semester of school there and and like that's the huge drink there for it was kind of weird because uh, there, at least, most of the females drink, drink cider, and then most of the males drink beer. And so, uh, but cider was huge. Uh, it was—you go to the grocery store, and the cider section was just about as big as the beer section.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And so there, I kind of realized, oh, this is kind of a pretty cool thing, or it is a thing, because back in the states, you know, you never see those.
0: No, not really. I think you do now more this this was probably seven or eight years ago maybe how long ago was this
1: uh, that would have been 2008
0: so about so, 12 yeah, years ago 12 so. years ago and when we had those beverages uh, at this bar in uh, Chicago do you remember the brand of cider we had the first time or that Aaron had
1: I uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think it was probably a strong bow. Yeah. You could find those most places here strong in the States. Bow. It's an English, uh, a cider, but I do remember her enjoying that quite a bit.
0: I don't know if it's the best cider in the world in air quotes, but it definitely did the trick and she enjoyed it. And so it was easier for her to sit down and drink a, you know, what it kind of even looks back like a like beer when it's in a glass like that.
1: Yeah, sure does.
0: And I think actually even tried giving her a a snake bite.
1: (laughs) Uh, Probably. I don't know that Um, she
0: indulged in that. And the snake bite, from my memory, is like half beer, half cider, right?
1: So uh, there's another friend of mine that was living in London at the time when I was in Finland. And I went to go visit him on a weekend. Um and he uh took me out and introduced me to this British drink called the snake bite. And essentially it was it's half of a cider, so like Strongbow or something, and then half of a lager. So their version of, you know, the, the British Bud Light or what have you. And then um you drizzle that with a little bit of blackcurrant liqueur and uh makes it a little bit it makes it red,
0: essentially. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember the redness, but I think well, she liked lot- it. Or at least Th- that's I did. A different, that's just yeah. a
1: different variation on it. So you know, depending on where you go, they might make it a little different.
0: Okay. So then a few weeks ago, we're chatting about something. I don't remember exactly what. How did this brewing process begin? Well, we
1: were talking about uh this the I think Austin's East Side is what you guys are drinking. And Aaron I was talking to Aaron, actually. I called you and Aaron answered the phone, and I think we got to talking about cider. Because she was drinking in Austin's East Side, uh, and that she'd mentioned it because I introduced her to the cider back in Chicago. And then uh, when you got on the phone, we were talking about, you know, just the, that you guys were kind of drinking occasionally. You know, you'd have some cider. And uh, I, I guess, coincidentally, uh, in the last year or so, started making cider myself. I'd been making beer for, I don't know, ten years or so, but. Uh, in the last year I started making cider because there's a, a, a homebrew club that I'm a part of here locally. I live in central Virginia and here the cider is huge because there's a, you know, a, a apple orchards all over the place. And at what I didn't know, and I saw this presentation during one of these monthly meetings, was a cider maker came in and talked about, you know, how do you make cider? How you do all this stuff and it uh, making cider Some of them may disagree, but making cider is exponentially easier than making beer because there are so many steps that you don't have to do at all when you're making a cider. And so it's a relatively simple process and it's a great, if you're interested in ciders or beers or whatever, this is a great kind of way to just start getting into that hobby or that process.
0: Yeah. I think based on what I know about brewing now that I've done some of it now, it is pretty easy. There's not much to the cider process. Now it takes a lot of time and there's a lot of things to do, but not a lot of really of thought involved. It's just kind of mostly following the recipe or the directions. And I don't know, it it doesn't seem like there's a lot of places you can mess up.
1: Oh no, there's closet. There's a lot of places you can mess up. Um, most of them have to do with cleaning though. So yeah, as long as your sanitation's good, you're, you're usually going to get at least something drinkable at the end of it, at the end of your process.
0: Well, we'll get into this later about the cleaning process, but I think we did a pretty good job. So we were talking about it, and I don't I don't exactly remember. Maybe you do better than me, but we talked about hey, maybe we should you should make some cider. I just made some cider. Let's you should do that. And I'm like yeah, okay, yeah.
1: Well, no, so yeah, I think we were talking and. You'd mentioned that uh, you know it'd be kind of cool to. I, I'd been discussing how I'd been recently kind of making the stuff, and you thought it'd be a good idea or something, or that you might be interested in it. And I said, and so I uh, I went online. Actually, I think as we were talking, and I uh, went to one of the the sites that I get a lot of the brewing equipment and uh, bought you a starter kit for making cider.
0: Yeah, you did, and I don't think you told me that right away. We get off the phone and maybe like a day or two later, like, oh, by the way, you're going to get a package, you know, on this day. And it's pretty much everything you, you need to uh, brew cider. So get to it.
1: <laughs> well, I no, it wasn't everything. You I said pretty juice. much everything. Yeah. Yeah. Almost all the equipment you needed. Yeah. Minus the, I think minus the juice and the bottles.
0: Juice, bottles, and sugar.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So let's talk well, about what those items were. What what is necessary? What what? So we got a bucket, a brewing bucket.
1: So you need a well. I'll, I'll even make it more basic than that. You need a vessel.
0: Okay. You need vessel. you
1: need something to. You need a fermenter. You need something for this thing to sit in for a while, in a, an enclosed environment, where uh, you can allow gases to escape, without introducing any. Type of foreign let's say error bacteria into your bucket or your your vessel, and so there's a ton of different types of those. The most common type in home brewing is is yeah like you just said, a bucket uh usually a six gallon bucket because most uh most brewing is done in five gallon batches, and you still need some head space at the top of that, so usually six gallons is what most people use.
0: Okay. And I'll also note that we're going to have links to most, if not all of the stuff that we used to make the batch we're going to describe at the website. So it's at ambiguouslyblind.com. There'll be a post about brewing. It'll either be at the top of the page there, or you can search for it, but we're going to have as many links as we can to all the gear that we had to make this process go. So we got a bucket, six gallon bucket. And what are the other things that came with that? So we had a so
1: b- before I start getting into the rest of these, the, um, I will, I gotta, you, it's, we need to note, this is the basic kit, right? This is everything, the basics of what you need to make it. And the, the, the reason why a lot of folks kind of spend some money in this hobby is that this is probably the most labor intensive also type of kit because it's just your bare bones and your basics. So you've got to kind of do some things to get everything in order. There are multiple different upgrades that you can go from here, which of course, you know, get a little bit more expensive or you have to add equipment on. So what we're talking about is really your bare bones and it works. It works just fine. It's just, you're going to put a little bit more time and effort into it. That's the only difference.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. And as we've talked through this and going through it now, the bucket is one thing that I, the next I think maybe the next time or the time after that, I would likely would upgrade the bucket. Not that there's anything wrong with the bucket that we have, but there's better buckets or better, you know, there's, there's always a better mousetrap. So better you can, vessels. Yes. Yeah. Vessels. So I think you use a, um, I think the brand is, is a catalyst.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I used a, there's a pretty, a pretty big leap up actually above a bucket is a conical fermenter. And that's essentially a, a a bucket, but at the bottom, it's cone-shaped down to a, a a nozzle of some sort. And then you can add on all kinds of different things. And these are made – the cheaper versions are made of plastic and then uh, all the way up to – you can get some pretty fancy, n- nice ones in stainless steel. And then that's really what your your major brewers use are these stainless steel giant conical fermenters. And so that's designed through the fermentation process. The cone, because stuff will naturally kind of settle the solids. And once you, you know if you've got uh, your proteins start kind of dropping out of your juice or your, your 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 wort, or if you're brewing beer or your juice, if you're brewing cider or making cider, all that'll start falling to the bottom. And this is a just it makes it very easy, very clean, very nice way to to kind of get rid of all the stuff at the bottom. Um, so you don't have to take the juice off the top of the bottom and move it into a second vessel.
0: Now, the the stuff at the bottom is called something. What is it?
1: So in brewing, it's called shrub. Um, and in cider, I actually, I don't even know. I know there's a different term for it. I don't know the name of it. So I will also say I'm not an expert at cider making. However, I do make a decent product, I think. But uh, I, I I've been doing the brewing stuff a lot longer than I have the cider. But in the brewing process, it's called the shrub that falls to the bottom, and that's a combination of all the any solids that were in that liquid, and that drop out while it's fermenting. Uh, the yeast cells, once they become deactivated or they, you know, they or maybe they die, they go down to the bottom.
0: Okay, so we've got a bucket, and of course, this bucket—just for those listening that can't visualize this—it's got a lid on it it's got a nozzle or a um spigot on the side
1: so for reference if you go to you know your your big box uh, like home depot or lowes you know they'll sell yeah an orange or a you know a blue bucket for that those are that that size is 5 gallons so you want one that's a little bit bigger than that ideally for for this process unless you go with a smaller batch i know you did here but ideally you want to be able at least to have your equipment to do you need the capability of 5 gallons and which means you need a little bit of a headspace above it so the 6 gallon bucket is usually where people go uh you also are going to really uh and you did get an upgrade in your kit by the way uh, that 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 siphon or that nozzle at the that we were talking about at the bottom of the bucket mm-hmm. that is actually an upgrade cuz you can use a siphon if you don't have the nozzle to get the liquid out of the bucket and into wherever else you're bringing it either a secondary fermenter or bottles.
0: That doesn't sound like fun. I think the nozzle's a way to go there.
1: Yeah, a lot more work. Um, siphon's a little more work. I started when when I was brewing for my first couple of years, I used a bucket without a siphon and mean a bucket a, without a nozzle. Or, I'm sorry, bucket, a bucket without, without a it. nozzle. And then used a siphon, a manual siphon that, that, and there's auto siphons which are much easier too now. They didn't have those back then at least that I was aware of. And So you literally have to, you know, like uh, in the movies when somebody's like siphoning gas out of a gas tank out of of a car. Uh, You got to figure out some way to get the liquid into that tube so that it's got enough uh, downward gravity to pull stuff out of whatever vessel you're trying to pull it out of. So, yeah, a lot of work there. There's a lot of cool gadgets that make all that much easier. One of those is that nozzle that you got on your bucket.
0: Yeah. Well, I would just consider that kind of a, I, I would consider it standard. I didn't realize that was an upgrade. I would not suggest the siphon because it, not that it's a real labor intensive process, but there are some areas where you can save some time and energy on this, on this process. So we got a nozzle or a spigot. We got, what else do we have? We have a hydrometer. That was a new term for me. I mean, I've, I've heard of a hydrometer before, but I certainly have never used one.
1: Now a hydrometer is a, uh... You really should get one uh, in one form or another. There's these glass, uh, they're essentially a measuring instrument for the density of whatever liquid they're measuring. And so you need a cylinder of some sort to hold the liquid, and then this is a very long glass, heavily weighted at the bottom piece of equipment that is just a measuring device that you drop into that cylinder, and then wherever it floats at the very surface. You'll see a measuring mark that you can measure against. And that will tell you what your gravity or your density of your liquid is that you're measuring.
0: Now we're getting real scientific quickly here. So for, for those of you that are on my level, which is pretty low, uh, I remember from high school chemistry or physics or something, it looks like a graduated cylinder is what the, what the, um, cylinder you're describing looks like it's got a a flat wide base cylinder that goes up and then the the hydrometer is like a what how would you describe the hydrometer itself
1: it's about a foot long bulb type a very elongated bulb at the bottom with a weight at the bottom in the glass and then the top eight inches or so is a very thin piece of glass going to the to the top
0: it's kind of like a old school thermometer to take your temperature is kind of how I would describe it, except at the bottom of it, it does have a bulb. So it's bigger round at the bottom than it is the top. And you put it into this graduated cylinder and with the the liquid in it, and it will give you the, the density or what we're looking for here is how much this is a way for us to determine the amount of alcohol that is in the cider. Is that right?
1: Yeah. That, that's the whole reason that you're ma- making these measurements is, uh, and and for the purposes here, the actual the accurate term is gravity. You're you're measuring the gravity of that liquid. Here, let's say you you put some juice in or your what's called a wart, which is your unfermented beer, um, into this thing, like when you're ready to start your fermentation process, which we'll get into momentarily. But uh at this point your 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 liquid is the most dense because it's got all this sugar and all this stuff in it that ideally you're going to try and ferment and turn into alcohol. Well, the way to look at this is that all of this sugar water is way more dense than regular water. And for a reference point, if you get a 0.000 reading on a hydrometer, uh, that is distilled water. That's what the measuring point is. That's your starting point. And so you're adding all the sugar, adding all this stuff to that, or whatever's in your the thing you're the liquid you're measuring, becomes more dense, and so your reading goes up, and so in other words, your bulb goes up, and so the where it comes on the or where it falls on the the surface of that liquid is much uh, higher in number. Now counter that with alcohol. Once all that stuff starts turning into alcohol. Alcohol is much less dense than water, and so that reading starts to go down. And so ideally, all you, ultimately what you're really after is your pr- first reading, your original gravity reading, or your OG, if you will, your original gravity reading. I will. And, I will. And then your final gravity. So right before you bottle or keg it or whatever you're going to do, your final gravity reading is going to be much lower than your original gravity, and then you take the difference or your delta between those two. And there's a bunch of different calculators that are out there, or and that I'm sure will come with your fermenter or your not your fermenter but your hydrometer, and measure it against that, and that'll tell you how much
0: alcohol you have in your liquid. Okay, so we use the hydrometer initially, the bucket. What else did we use? We used the
1: so there's an airlock at the top. So you're going to need a, a top to your bucket. With generally there's a hole drilled in there, and a rubber grommet around that hole, and then you stick in what's called an airlock into that. Now an airlock is one of the. It's a device that's designed to let CO2 escape during fermentation, because what you'll find is that during fermentation or the process of making alcohol or you're turning those sugars that you've added from your juice, from your malt, from whatever it is, into alcohol, those uh, will off-gas, or those will produce two things. Your yeast is going to go in and eat those sugars, and it's going to poop out your alcohol, and it's going to burp out your uh, CO2. So you've got two things that the uh, yeast is creating when it's eating those sugars. Alcohol, good, and CO2. Good. Well, good, because that's actually – later we're going to talk about bottling and how that's actually going to then carbonate your beer in the bottle. But if you just have a, an enclosed environment while it's fermenting, you're going to blow the top off the thing. So you need a, a way for that to escape, but you also don't want to introduce anything foreign into that environment that could cause some other bacteria to get in there or other uh, errant yeasts to start doing some weird stuff to your, your beer or your cider. So the airlock – is this cool little bubbler thing that allows the gas to go escape through a sanitation solution and so the gas gets out but nothing gets back in.
0: And I think that's pretty much it for the original bucketing process or the the brewing process. Is that about all the gear we need up to the other than the the apple juice and stuff that we put in the bucket?
1: So in that initial kit you also had some hose that you put onto the, uh, you know, your, your spigot at the bottom of the bucket, which is uh, drilled about what an inch and a half off the bottom of the bucket.
0: Yeah, I'd say it's about right.
1: And then um, there's a, a a bottling wand is what they call it, and that's kind of a cool little gadget that uh, allows you to fill bottles without spilling anything, because there's a plunger at the bottom, so that when it hits the bottom of the bottle, it opens up the uh, the plunger and allows the liquid to pour out. And then as soon as you lift it up, it closes that plunger and you can pull that out without anything else getting out of the hose. So it's a, about a, I don't know, hard plastic round piece, about a foot long that goes onto the end of your hose that you've got onto your spigot.
0: Yeah. For bottling purposes, that's pretty genius. So I think that's most of the gear we used to get stuff in. So we got the bucket we got to we got to clean it. So there's a big thing about cleaning and sanitizing. Apparently, that's important. Is that right?
1: <laughs> you cannot underst- understate how important cleaning and sanitizing is. And even I, I was confused at what the difference is between cleaning and sanitizing. Um, but there's a, a very important uh, part to both of those, and they're very they're actually different. Uh, so what you'll see is, especially as you use equipment, maybe time and time again, or You get new equipment and it's got some sort of stuff on it, uh, oils or whatever it may be. Um, You want to get all that stuff off. And so a lot of times you've got these greases, grease on there, or you've got oils or whatever that are, uh, let's say you're using a bucket time and time again, you're going to have some residue in there that maybe you can't see or feel, but it's in there. So you need a a proper cleaner and to get all of that clean, to get all the stuff off of the surfaces that you're using. Plastic is not have an indefinite shelf life because it scratches, and these little scratches will also be little breeding grounds for bacteria. Bacteria is the death of your stuff. It'll, it'll. Uh, you don't want your yeast eating the bacteria or your bacteria being introduced into your system because that's just going to put these crazy off flavors into it. And I, I, first, I know you're, and what you, a lot of folks are probably thinking is, oh my god, to get it in there and. Uh, you know, I'm going to like kill somebody making beer, or making cider. But that
0: was my thought. I'm not, that, yeah.
1: That, no. The, the worst that's going to happen is it's going to just taste like crap. Unless you're putting some weird stuff in there that I'm not even aware of. But no, what we're talking about here is on that micro scale where that's not going to hurt anything. It's just going to, it's going to taste bad and you're not going to want to drink it.
0: Okay. Yeah. I was worried about that initially too. I was a little freaked out about it actually. So we clean the bucket.
1: So you clean it. And so, and I'm going to use a brand name here because, and I unsolicited that I, I've not been paid or anything by these folks, but I I found that I use this, Uh, I've been to, I've been a part of three different brew clubs uh, and all of these guys and gals use this same process and very, this is very frequently used. And it's kind of a good tried and true method because it's just the ease of use, the cheap uh, the cheapness of the, the ingredients of the stuff you're going to buy, but uh, that you're a good cleaner is um, a five-star PBW is, is kind of, or if you just go to like Amazon or any of those, you go online and get and just type in PBW brew cleaning. Uh, it's a powder. And that is probably one of the better cleaners that are out there. That's something that uh, you maybe use a plastic brush, but you you know you make the solution. You use the, this uh, a brush or something, and just really brush and scrub all of the areas and all of the things that you're going to be brewing in. And then, or like uh, if you've got bottles or you got some uh, like that bottling wand or tubing that's got hard to reach places, you want to just sit in there, sit that in there, and soak it for a couple hours or however long the instructions say. And then once and that just kind of breaks down any of that oil, any of that residual stuff that's in there, and then uh, rinse it off with uh, a warm water. And, and that is that is something that you will need to rinse off, though. But that's a, a really good cleaning product to, to start off with.
0: We'll have a link to that on the website. Also, Amazon link to that product as well. So we clean things, the bucket and the parts, and then we had to decide what we were going to put in the bucket, so we went with uh, apple juice. Of course, we're making cider.
1: Well, you're skipping over the
0: sanitizing part. Was I supposed to do that?
1: No, we got to talk about sanitizing.
0: No, was I supposed to so sanitize?
1: The, oh, so the yes, you were, and you did. You probably didn't even know it because the product that you had with that initial kit had a cleaning solution and a sanitizer in it. However, what I would recommend for a number of reasons, is in, in addition to that PBW, you get what's called a star sand solution. Again, I don't work for them. They, I've never even talked to them, but this is pretty well, maybe well, you should, maybe you should. This, in the home brewing world, they, they, they use this or we, I use it. Um, it's very easy to use. And this is one thing that's pretty cool because it's a, uh, it's a no rinse thing. You don't have to worry about any residual stuff and even their their motto is don't fear the foam <laughs> because you're going to get some sort of foam uh that might be left in your sanitizer or your bo- your your fermenter or your bottle that you're going you're about to fill it's okay it, it's not going to hurt anything it's actually just fine and th- that's an acid sanitizer which means the acidity of this thing uh is what kills the any residual bacteria or viruses or anything that you've got in there and um, but it's not going to impart some sort of like chlorine or chemical thing to your beer or cider.
0: I'm glad to know that we sanitized also. We also got some of the star sand as well. And again, we'll link to that too. But okay, so we cleaned it. We sanitized the bucket. we We got our apple juice. And on your recommendation, we went to uh where do we go uh Costco and we got their Kirkland
1: brand organic uh apple juice, right?
0: Yes. It, it and it comes in a pack of 2. So we got two packs of 2 for a total of 4 gallons. We didn't do 5 just because we didn't, but this time we did 4 gallons and brought them home. And as I mentioned, we cleaned everything, sanitized everything and got the apple juice ready. But there was something we had to put in the bucket before the apple juice, which is also something that we had to get in addition to the kit. Which so, was- now,
1: so Let me correct you there for a second. You did, again, this is not something you had to do. Uh, this is just something that I've found that is uh, better for cider drinking and ciders. Is uh, You want to start out with a little bit of a higher gravity, which means you're going to end up with a little bit higher of an alcohol content at the end. And so... You didn't have to. You could have just poured that apple juice in there, put the yeast on, let it do its thing, and you would have come out with, uh, I I don't know, I I guess around 4% uh, of
0: alcohol content. Okay, yeah. I didn't realize that was optional. But we used, in the the case of what, the batch that that we created with you, we used uh, corn sugar.
1: There's a couple of different, I mean, you could have used uh like table sugar but it's a different type of sugar and uh I don't want to get into the science of it but uh when you're using corn sugar that uh it's a lot easier to ferment with that that yeast is it's, it's a lot easier for the yeast to eat essentially and it's going you're going to come out with a cleaner drier uh product if you're using the corn sugar which is again something that's pretty f- frequently used in the uh, uh brewing industry or you know home brewing or cider making Um, Also called an adjunct, like I explained before, it's something that's fermentable that you're adding that is not one of your primary ingredients like apple juice.
0: Okay, so we basically made a simple solution with the corn sugar. We measured out, I think, um, a pound of corn sugar. So yeah,
1: you used a pound. Uh, This is the same recipe I've used before, actually, uh, um, on uh, several occasions. Uh, using the exact same apple juice and corn sugar ratio. So it was, uh, I kind of knew what the measurements were going to end up being at the end. So it was four, yeah, the four gallons of the Kirkland organic uh, apple juice. I think it's not concentrated, if I recall correctly, uh, meaning it's not been frozen and the water removed and the water re-added back in after packaging or something. Plus that one pound of corn sugar, uh, and the way to add the corn sugar is you, you you've got to sanitize that first and uh, boil it is probably the best way to do that. So you take a couple cups of water, put it on the stove, boil it, and then add slowly add that one pound of corn sugar in, um, dissolving it into the the solution or into the water, making a solution. And then you want to cool that down without having any stuff getting into the liquid. So you want to make sure that you know nothing foreign is getting into that while you're cooling it down um, until about room temperature. And then you put that in to your, uh, your solution.
0: We put the, we put the simple uh, corn sugar syrup in the bucket first, after it was yep. room temperature. And then to use, I think, your term, we aggressively poured the apple juice <laughs> into the bucket.
1: So there's one time that you want to introduce oxygen into this process, and it's now right before you put your yeast into your bucket or your fermenter you want a bunch of oxygen in there meaning you want a bunch of bubbles you want you yeah get it in there if you get the top you can put that on there shake it up whatever you need to do but the easiest way is literally just to kind of pour it very aggressively or directly into it which kind of does that for you
0: yeah so that's what we did four times we poured a gallon of apple juice into the bucket with the sugar solution at the bottom. And then we took the packet of yeast and sprinkled it on the top of the liquid. And what kind of yeast did we use for this?
1: So there's a, there's a million different types of yeast strains out there that you can use. I mean, you can use like wild yeast even to do this stuff if you're kind of really getting creative. Uh but there's a ton of different producers out there that make really good yeast that are very easily pitchable, that you don't have to do a whole lot of work to start them before you pitch them. Uh pitching being putting them into your primary stuff. Um like like here, your juice. Uh but the strain that uh I've found works pretty well is a Belle Saison, which is normally a French style beer. Yeast that is used to make a what are otherwise known as a farmhouse style or saison style or season is, I think, the translation where uh, it's a kind of a lighter alcohol, very crisp, fruity type beer from France, and it translates really well, in my opinion, to this uh, cider making and also creates. You know some pretty good crispness. It dries it out. It usually ferments all the way through. So that if you're looking for a dry cider, it's a really good yeast to use. It uh, and it all it can handle some uh, extra alcohol content in there. Whereas some of these more fragile yeasts, as soon as they get to a certain alcohol level that they've fermented through and they're sitting in their own alcohol, um, start to die off a lot quicker. These are a little bit more hardy and can can handle a little bit higher in higher gravity or start points.
0: Okay, so we sprinkled the yeast packet on top. We sealed the top. We put the bubbler on and then we stored the bucket at a room temperature place in the house for an excruciating period of time, 2 weeks. <laughs>
1: Uh, Yeah. So you've got to, it takes some time. So that's the thing. Uh, And it's weird because different batches react differently based on the types of yeast you're using, what you've got in there, the temperature fluctuations uh, of where you're at and uh, whether or not you're using a dry yeast or a liquid yeast, whether or not maybe you start, made what's called a yeast starter where you kind of got the yeast already eating some sugars somewhere else and then you pitched it in. So I think yours actually was a little bit longer than normally expected. I think your, your, your bubbler was actively going from like day, I don't know, was it two to day like 12 of the 14 day yeah, process? No,
0: it, it was actively bubbling. So we, we are based on our discussion, we were going to have this in the bucket for two weeks. And what I remember you saying was that it was going to start bubbling maybe after about 48 hours. And then it would do that for four or five days or maybe like seven or eight days, maybe. But what we experienced was within 24 hours, it was bubbling and it bubbled. I mean, it was pretty loud. I mean, not it didn't like shake the house or anything, but (laughs) loud enough to know if you were near it, you could hear bubbles coming out of it. You could hear bubbling. So
1: so to describe what you're talking about uh, a little bit more the bubbling is this this airlock at the top where you've got this CO2 escaping from your bucket uh and again that that is a that is what you're looking for because that's the sign that that yeast is going in there converting those sugars into alcohol and CO2 and so it's doing its job and it it it's very fickle and can last. sometimes that'll burn out it it'll, it'll go through a, your primary fermentation in a day Sometimes it takes a week and a half, two weeks, almost up to two weeks. But usually it's generally all the way complete it, once it starts within a two-week period.
0: And really what's making most of the noise, too, we put some liquid, that's some, some sanitizer liquid, in the bubbler. So really I think what's making the noise is the, the air passing through the water. Right. So it's not like it's an eruption or anything, but it's just this. The, the pressure builds up, it comes through comes out the top of the the lid where the hole is through the bubbler and it makes this bubble noise. And so, yeah, I could, I can tell you that it started within about 24 hours and as time went on throughout the two week process, it, it got steadily lower in its veracity, but it was still bubbling on day 14, just not as it may, may have bubbled every three or four minutes as opposed to several times a minute initially. That makes sense.
1: So this is a hobby for the patient. I will tell you, um, because
0: yeah, no kidding. I didn't, uh, that's
1: that, that two week period is, uh, is the minimum that you want to wait on your, your primary or your start. Really? Unless you're taking daily gravity readings and they're telling you different, um, then you, you at least want to wait, two weeks if you're not regularly reading your gravity levels for your liquid.
0: Yeah. We're going to talk about gravity readings later too. probably on our next discussion, but there are different, lots of different ways to get those gravity readings. But the way that we were using for this batch was the, uh, I'm just going to call it the graduated cylinder with the glass hydrometer. Yeah. Yeah. The hydrometer. And that for me was a difficult process to take readings during that process, because of where I had the, the bucket stored, it was just a lot of energy and effort to move it, to get it to where I could draw out some liquid. to take so, a reading, yeah, you,
1: there, there's a couple of ways to do that. One, the old school way that I had to do for the first couple of years that I was brewing is you would take your bucket, put it up on a counter, let it settle, open up the top, which could, again, is a whole chance of stuff to get in there. And you would take what's called a wine thief. It's a long glass tube that you put your finger on or your thumb on the back of, drop it. Hopefully you've sanitized it first. Drop it down into the liquid, open that up, and that'll then fill up the, the, the wine thief. Put your finger back on it, take it out, and then put that into the graduated cylinder enough times to fill that up and get a reading off of your hydrometer.
0: That does not sound uh, like fun.
1: That that's the old school method. So, like I said, here's an upgrade. Now you've got a spigot at the bottom, about an inch and a half off the bottom of your bucket, that you can take liquid off of there very easily with just a turn of the wrist. And you just fill that up. Uh, apparently, you were too lazy to just put it on a counter and do that, but it's okay.
0: No, I and, was. Uh, it was. It just didn't. It, no, I was too lazy. It, based <laughs> on where it was and the, the amount of movement and all the activity we got going on in this location. No, I could, I could wait, but there is another. Oh, no, I, know
1: you got a, I know you got a lot going on there, but that, that for other folks that you, you all, that's literally all you would have to do is put it on a counter, open up the spigot, fill up your graduated cylinder with with your hydrometer in there until it starts to float and you get a reading and you're good to go. Yeah. But also the downside too, to that is you're going to potentially, you're going to, depending on how many readings you're taking and how often all of that's wasted liquid. All, it's all of it. It's wasted cider now.
0: Yeah, and that was my concern too. Is that every time we draw out of that, we're, it, we're we, that's just not no not the product we're not going to get at the end too. So there's another upgrade for this particular part of the brewing process, uh, the hydrometer process, which I think we'll get into uh, on our next discussion too. But it's a a hydrometer that you can drop into the bucket after you seal it. And it communicates through. Is oh yeah, it tele, Technology telepathically. Is awesome. <laughs>
1: no, it's called a tilt uh, Bluetooth hydrometer. It is a Bluetooth.
0: Uh, that's it. Yeah.
1: It's about a you know, four-inch plastic thing with an electric doohickey inside, for lack of a better term. That you san- you got to make sure you sanitize it, clean it, and sanitize it just like everything else you do. Um, but. You know, Right when you're pouring in your juice or whatever else you want to ferment, have that in there already. And you've got an app on your phone that will tell you whenever you like what the current gravity is, what the temperature. And then not only that, there's some settings that you can do on that that will automatically store to either a cloud service or to your phone. And so you know all your readings throughout your entire fermentation process without losing a drop. Yeah. Again, I don't work for Tilt. Don't take a dime from them, but I own two of them and I use them regularly.
0: Yeah. I will have one of those on my next brew and it seems like it would make that, it it for sure makes it easier for one, but I think it also gives you some insight as to what's going on in the bucket without having to open it, which I think is pretty crucial too.
1: Oh no, it's a huge benefit. Huge benefit.
0: Okay, so we left it in there for an excruciatingly long two week period of of bubbling and and what have you, and the next step would be the i guess is that the bottling process for us what what we did as beginners, novices, we used bottles. Is that what you did from the beginning for the most part?
1: So that's what I started out with yeah, I used twenty two inch or twenty two ounce rather brown bottles to to brew my or to bottle my beer in why brown uh so light is kind of your enemy in this whole process so like i was saying before heat movement temperature you know like so light is bad um and it will skunk your beer or your cider pretty quick so you want to either if you're using glass clear bottles uh you want to make sure that you put them in some sort of you know, cardboard container or something like that while you're storing them. Uh, but if you just kind of leave them out in the light, that um, for beer or cider, it, it's that's not good for
0: it. We used clear glass bottles because we have a plethora of clear glass bottles. By the uh, uh, we drink a lot of Topo Chico, the bottled uh, mineral wattle mineral
1: wattle. Water? Is that how that's yeah, pronounced? Yeah, that's
0: exactly how it is. The butter. Whoa. <laughs> You've
1: been drinking your own product, Joe?
0: Apparently so. The bottled mineral water. And we had a plethora of those laying around. So instead of getting other bottles, we just went with that. So, But they are clear, so there was a little bit of an issue with that. We kept the bo- the boxes that the bottles came in. So we planned to store those in the bo- or the or uh, the boxes that they came in. So... Shouldn't be a big deal, right?
1: No. Yeah. If you've got them in in cardboard or, you know, in a dark closet for the, you know, most of whatever you're doing it for, you're fine.
0: Okay. So we had some of those and we got the, so we got the, this triumphant time where we got the bucket out. We brought it into the kitchen and what we needed to do was get that liquid into bottles. And the way we did that was we actually needed, uh, with your guidance here, we actually got a second bucket. So I think what's called a, at least we when we got it, they called it a bottling bucket. So we went to the brew store in our area and got, it's basically the same bucket as the brewing bucket, but it's a lot easier to, essentially what we do is we, remove the contents of the brewing bucket into the bottling bucket, leaving the trub or the bottom, I don't know, inch, inch and a half or so of the brewing bucket in the bucket. That makes sense?
1: Leaving the bad stuff behind. Yes. The, yeah.
0: yeah. So basically we get all the good stuff out, leave the stuff we don't want in the brewing bucket, and then so it's, it's just easier to do that by having a second bucket. It's not required, but based on some discussions that you and I had, I, I definitely saw where that would be a lot easier to just have a second bucket for that process.
1: So again, not necessary, but definitely an upgrade that makes things a little easier. Yeah.
0: And then also I should mention too, we did a pretty extensive cleaning and sanitizing process through the or for the bo- or for the bottles there, too. And I think we went a little extra or overboard because I was very concerned about cleanliness and sanitation to make sure we weren't going to kill ourselves when we drank this stuff. So we cleaned the bottles with that cleaning solution. We also sanitized them with the sanitizer solution. And then to go the extra mile, we put the bottles into the dishwasher on the sanitation cycle and ran those things through there too. You don't typically do that third step though, right?
1: No. I, well, I don't bottle anymore. Uh, cause again, there's another upgrade you can do. And all I do nowadays is a keg beer and cider.
0: Okay. Well, I think I'd like to do that at some point, but I'm not just, I'm just not ready to, to get into full blown, Uh, brewing, at least until I do this a few times to make sure, you know, this is a viable hobby.
1: So I think one of the important things to talk about, though, in this bottling process, though, is carbonation. And you need to, uh, unless you're bottling a flat cider, and I'm sure there's some folks out there that would tell me why you would want to do that, but I haven't figured a reason out for that. You you really would like, I, I like a carbonated cider. Um, you, you need to figure out how you're going to get bubbles into your, your, your cider. And there's several ways to do that. And if you're bottling, the most common way is to uh, what they call bottle condition or bottle carbonate your, your beer or your cider. So it actually works exactly the same way. And so essentially what you're trying to do is, uh, well, you've got this residual yeast that's still alive, still active, still doing its thing in your cider or your beer. And so you just add more sugar, which you know creates the second fermentation process that, again, is creating, again, um, in this case, it's a small amount, so a little bit of alcohol, not, not much, um, but it's still creating CO2. And so instead of letting it escape through a, uh, one of those bubblers at the top of a bucket, now you're in an enclosed environment in a in a sealed bottle and it gets then absorbed into the liquid which is how car- that carbonation of your liquid is is made
0: yeah so that's what we did we added a little bit more sugar to the bucket with the, the to the bottling bucket as i'll call it
1: so again you used corn sugar in this case and corn sugar is a good adjunct because it doesn't produce any other flavors to it it keeps it fairly clean it's relatively 100% fermentable. So you're not leaving any other stuff in there. And so it's not going to take away from any of the taste of that cider.
0: And we had about, we ended up with 25 17 ounce bottles was essentially the product that we ended up with. So we had all of our bottles sanitized and ready to go. We used the, the tubing and the bottle wand To fill each bottle, which I would highly recommend, the the wand for this process. Not to mention that's much more sanitary, I think, than just filling each bottle. Not to mention also, too, that I think, as you told me, that introducing any kind of oxygen or any other elements to this process can just also make things bad, right? Right.
1: Yeah, bubbles are bad. You don't want this thing disturbed in any way. You want it just very cleanly, simply filled up into the bottle with no bubbles, no pouring in it. You don't want to pour it into, like so if you stuck a bottle underneath that siphon or the, the spigot rather and turned it on, I mean, yeah, you could fill up a bottle that way, but you just killed whatever your, your beer or your cider is because yep. you just oxygenated it completely and it's that's not going to last very long.
0: So you use the, the tubing and you use the wand to fill up the buckets or the, excuse me, the bottles. And then we filled up all the bottles. We had caps that came in the kit. And we also had a cap crimper, so we lined up all of our bottles, we crimped all the caps on, we put them so in. So the- de-
1: depending on how much carbonation you want in that, in that cider or that beer, uh, there's a different amounts of sugar that you can add to that product and there's different ratios. Uh, but essentially that whole process is exactly the same as you adding that pound of, sh- of sugar at the very beginning of the fermentation process. You just boiled that uh sugar, I think I don't remember exactly how many we I think it was three point seven five ounces or something like that. We used sugar. for the
0: for the bottling process, we used four point seven ounces of sugar.
1: Four point seven? Okay, yeah. I don't I had a calculator on, on an app that I use uh for four gallons. It was probably a little bit less than four gallons, and that what we're shooting for was what's called three volumes of of carbonation in there. Um, uh, so depending on how much carbonation you want in your end product, uh, you've got to make sure you put in the right amount of sugar. Uh, cause if you put in too much and you're using, uh, weaker bottles or bad bottles, or you put in too much and even you're using a good bottle, you might blow up the bottle. I've never had that happen, but I've heard horror stories about that happening. You just want to make sure you calculate that, that correctly.
0: And you got to make sure the seal on the cap's pretty good too, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, that, that's not hard though. You, you definitely want to boil those bottle caps to make sure you're killing any bacteria or anything that's on them for at least five minutes. Um, but once you get it on there and you just you put the cap crimper on, how did, how did you like that process? How, what did you think about that?
0: It was pretty simple, really. I mean, I could do it with relative ease for the most part. I did most of them. Uh, The crimping process, Aaron did did, did some also, and I mean, it's it wasn't difficult.
1: So you ended up doing, uh, I'm sorry, how many bottles?
0: 25 of the larger Topo Chico bottles, which I think are 17 ounces or 16 point something.
1: 16.9. Cause I think it's a half liter. Bottle. Okay.
0: Yeah. So we have 25 of those and we put them back in the box that came in because in preparation we were, we were saving those and they are, uh, in the pantry Waiting for another excruciating two weeks, which is where, as the time we're recording this, that's where they are.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, now you're in your secondary fermentation. or Well, this is different than a secondary fermentation. Now you're bottle conditioning your cider. Yeah. And the, the cool thing about cider, though, well, maybe not to you, the longer that you wait, the better it gets kind of like a wine it, it it's still doing stuff in there and so an aged cider actually can be pretty good
0: well let me ask you this so like we're going to leave it in there for two weeks and as of the recording of this we're about we're almost a week into that process what stops that process like if we put those in the refrigerator does that stop yeah, that process
1: that will stop that process so the that uh, the, the, cool- the, 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 the that once it gets down to – every yeast strain has an ideal fermentation range of temperature. And if it drops below that, it will get into a kind of a hibernation mode, drop out, and just jump go to the bottom. And so that's why, number one, you want to pitch it at the correct temperature. Put it in there is what I mean by pitching. And then you want to keep that at a relatively steady state in the middle, right in the middle of that temperature range. And then on the opposite end of that spectrum, if it gets too hot, it'll kill the the yeast, and that thing's done forever. And so you want to keep it – temperature control is – it's another variable that you can kind of try and control. That's why another upgrade that uh, some folks use is a fermentation chamber. So you can – and you can make a cheap one out of an old refrigerator or freezer pretty easily.
0: Okay. So we're storing those at about room temperature – for two weeks, we're not going to do anything with them. They're they're not getting any light. They're in the boxes, and so that and that's where we are at this time. So, would you suggest once we hit this two week period that we uh, immediately put some in the refrigerator and leave the rest at room temperature until we're ready to consume them? Or so
1: at two weeks, I would take one out, put it in the fridge for a couple hours. And then uh, open it and see what you got. See where your your carbonation level is. If it's not carbonated still, then something's kind of going on there where maybe uh, it's not warm enough, for example. Like you, you've, if you've got it down in the 60s for the most part, then it's not going to ferment as quickly or as effectively. So you want to make sure you – you, it just might take a little bit longer.
0: I didn't realize that. So it could take longer than two weeks. Wow.
1: If you don't have it at the right temperature, yeah, definitely. Okay. All
0: right. Well, I I think we do. And the next time we get together, we will be on the other side of that two-week period, hopefully. And we'll have at least some product to taste, see what we came up with. So I'm very excited about that. It's, it will at that point have been, um, you know, at least a month beyond the initial start of the, the whole process. So we should have 20 plus bottles of hopefully palatable hard apple cider.
1: So for a quick my quick uh, calculation here, you said you had 25 bottles that you filled?
0: Correct, yeah.
1: So at 16.9 ounces each, uh, which I think is what that's, that is, uh, you've got, 3.3 3 gallons of residual cider start uh, when you started with four gallons of juice, plus I don't know, maybe a couple cups of water that you used to make that uh, sugar solution at the beginning.
0: So we lost uh, Points, point point seven, 0.7 gallons. Yeah. During the, that's the, the treb. Correct. Okay.
1: And I think you said you had like half a bottle left over at the end and Aaron took a sampling from uh for a hydrometer reading right when you started bottling. Yeah, also. we
0: had a little bit, we, we couldn't the last bottle we didn't fill all the way so we took a uh took a taste of what was in there which according to what I know and what you've told me that there's nothing wrong with with tasting that and the only thing I would say is that I think it would be better with definitely be better with cool, you know, chilled and with a uh, carbonation.
1: It, it always will. You, the stuff that you taste, that's just to see how things are going. You, that's not going to taste like your end product. Yet. Yeah. Um,
0: it didn't again, taste bad or anything. I just think it would, right. it would be a lot better if it was in a chilled environment and, and had carbonation. So we're pretty excited. I'm, I can't wait to see what happens. I'm I think we're going to I think it's going to be good. I don't know if it's going to be exactly what we want, but I can already tell you that we're planning a second uh brewing process. We're we're definitely going to do this again, but I want to kind of see what happens here before we, you know, see if there's anything we want to change about the next time we do it. But as as of now, we're in the bottled phase.
1: Looking forward to seeing what comes out and what you guys think.
0: Yeah, me too. And that's what we'll talk about the next time. So stick with us, okay, Chris?
1: I'll, I'll be here. Uh, I think we, a couple other things we can talk about on your next go around too would be uh, uh, clarity, trying to figure out how to uh, clarify your end product, if that's what you're after. Uh, also, some different adjuncts you can add along the way to kind of tweak it or make it different. And then, you know, di- some different things. And yeast uh, strains to to make a different type of end cider, depending on what you what you like.
0: Yeah, and we'll also have the star of the show, Erin. She's the star of the podcast. We'll have her back for a taste test and to get her impressions on how everything went too. So
1: I, I am really curious to see what she says and yeah. what she thinks. Me too. She's not she's not going to pull any punches. I know that.
0: No, and so it should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe. And for a complete transcript of this episode, connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.